0: Professors FM. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone to the Fanalytics Podcast. We are located at www.fandomanalytics.com and we are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Uh, my name is Mike Lewis and I'm joined by Doug Battle and we are in the midst of our NFL Fandom Rankings Countdown. How are you, Doug?
1: I'm doing well, Mike. I like that you say we're located at and then you say a website. It almost sounds like like If we're going to go that route, we might as well buy some real estate in the metaverse and, and get an address and say, we're located at, and I don't know how that works into the whole metaverse thing, but I like that, Mike. I think that's great. We are, we are completely an online entity, and we are located at com.
0: Doug, if we had money to buy something, we would be uh, starting a crumble cookie uh, franchise, I think.
1: <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> okay. You're a big, big crumble fan?
0: No, nah, but my kids are. It's the okay. future. Okay. The future. So we left off. We got through the counting down from the Washington Commanders at thirty two. And we left off at the Chicago Bears at number nine. So we're in the we're in the top quarter of the league and at number yeah. eight. And you know, why don't we start by you just giving me your reaction, your thoughts on the the fan base, and then we can drill down as much as needed. The Denver Broncos at number eight.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I- Feel like that's about where I would put them if I had to guess. The Denver Broncos storied franchise. I think the first I I keep bringing up the first name first name John Elway.
0: See, I I love that. I love when you do that because it shows the it shows how this works over time. When I think of the Denver Broncos, the first thing I think of is the Orange Crush defense from (laughs) something like seventy eight or seventy nine.
1: Yeah. So, but even the fact that we have two different iconic eras that we're referencing. Shows goes to show that this is a storied franchise with what's considered to be a loud stadium. And they've had Super Bowls. They've had all the ingredients. They've got bad weather. I mean, it's cold. They've got all the ingredients of a a top fan base here. And so Denver Broncos, number eight, sounds right to me. You know what else they have? I don't think we're getting any mean tweets about this one. I don't think anyone's freaking out about this one.
0: The other thing that the Broncos have that... Ends up being an important component for a lot of teams across a lot of different leagues, is that they were the only game in town for a long time in Denver, right? You yeah. know, they, they they have a baseball team, they've got a basketball team, but you know, back in the day, it was an ABA basketball team. The mm-hmm. baseball team, I think, came in maybe in the nineties, perhaps. Uh, there's a hockey team now too, but. For the most part, they were the local team in places like Portland and basketball, the trailblazers. Right. When you got one thing, the community will often really build around them. So, you know, Denver's Denver does everything very, very well. Um, and, it, and it shows up in all the numbers and pricing, social media, et cetera.
1: What, Mike, what modern quarterback do you think of when you think of the Denver Broncos? <sighs> Just like last 20 years, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Peyton Manning, which is strange. I was
1: going to see if you remembered that he played there. To me, it's still. It's weird because he won a Super Bowl there. That's a huge deal for a franchise to win a Super Bowl. And usually, if a player wins a Super Bowl at a team, that player is forever cemented as as part of royalty. But it's still. It felt like. He felt like a mercenary to me. Like, he never felt like Peyton Manning was really a Denver Bronco. Maybe that's not fair. Uh, He spent a couple years in Denver, but.
0: It doesn't. But who's the. Who's the guy after Peyton, right? Jake Plummer. Okay.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I'm just thinking of it.
0: So it's just one of those things where, and look, you you named it, you know, John Elway, Peyton Manning, Super Bowls. It's how these franchises are built. Yeah. Okay, number seven. And I'm interested, and again, we may have some generational differences in how we think of this franchise. The New Orleans Saints.
1: I feel like my impression of the Saints early on in my life was that they were kind of not a top NFL franchise like they it seemed like they were always bad and they were always going to be bad and something changed during the Sean Payton era of course Drew Brees they got a Super Bowl in there but their fan base is Pretty enthusiastic, and they have that Mardi Gras vibe. <coughs> and I, I've heard great things from people who've been to games at the uh, at the Superdome or whatever they call it now. But I, th- I definitely think perspective on my, on my end has changed over the years with the New Orleans Saints. whereas at one point they were kind of a bottom dweller, and now they're viewed as like a legitimate NFL, not maybe not con- perennial contender, but on any given year they can contend absolutely.
0: Yeah, I was curious, because when I think of the Saints, and I don't even remember when this era was, you know, it could be the 70s or the 80s, you know, they would be referred to as the Aints, and (laughs) they would literally have fans wearing paper bags over their heads in the stadium. But I think you're right, that there might not be another NFL team that has had bigger strides over the last couple of decades, well, with the exception of probably the Patriots with Mm -hmm. all of their success, but... The, the Saints have – and what I think it boils down to is that Super Bowl run, Drew Brees, and the community building that occurred in that city after Katrina also seems to be a significant part of the story. I was going to everything happened and it really came together in a powerful way.
1: I would imagine that the Saints' rebuilding efforts and philanthropic efforts may have played a part in that as well from as far as how they are perceived and how welcome they are in New Orleans because it seems now as though New Orleans fans are die hard like they would die for that team and and they it's religious and I don't know that it was always that way I don't know if Katrina was like a big factor um or if it was just becoming a winning franchise I have no idea but it, it is interesting to to consider that
0: I also get the sense that it is a very much a football town, right? There's an NBA team, but probably more of an afterthought.
1: It's also a rowdy town by nature. It's a drinking, partying. And so when you combine that with football culture, it makes for a very unique fan base where you associate it with Marty. It feels like Mardi Gras every Sunday in New Orleans, (laughs) um, close to that stadium.
0: You know, something I don't know, maybe you have more insight into this, is that... With LSU down the road, mm. and LSU really known as, you know, you mentioned rowdy. You know, what are they? Yeah, LSU night games might be the most hostile place to have a game in college football. That yeah. it's, you know, it, often the, these college and pros in the southeast end up competing against each other, but I don't get the sense that that happens all that much in the state of Louisiana.
1: Yeah, I don't know, but I will say, like the last game I went to in Baton Rouge, I thought I was gonna get mugged. I got like <laughs> there were okay. some rowdy, rowdy fans, and I ended up walking back uh, by myself at night, wearing and was, all red, foolish yeah, wearing okay. wearing all red, and and being followed by a group of guys that were taunting and and yelling obscene things at me after their team destroyed my team, and so that's what I think of with LSU. I've I've met some pleasant LSU fans over the years too but but yeah i don't know louisiana's got something in the water because they like rowdiness is just it's every football event i've been to in that state just attracts the most rowdy wild people and i i personally i think it's kind of the the new orleans drinking culture i think that that attracts football fans and maybe people that wouldn't typically be drawn to football like to party and they see a party going on and, and close to the stadium and they end up getting involved with that culture and community and, and it pulls them into football. And so I think it attracts a very rowdy fan base and probably makes for a pretty uh, interesting in-game experience in the stadium. Okay,
0: at number six, and I, I was just about to call them the Oakland Raiders, but the <laughs> – the, sorry, <laughs> I was going to say the last – Angeles Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders. What, yes. do you, what do you think of that team, that brand?
1: Not six. Like, this is one that there will be tweets about and, and have been, um, simply because, I mean, they've recently relocated. So anybody in Las Vegas that goes to the game, it seems like they're a new fan. And there's not a lot of lifelong Las Vegas Raiders fans there. Or it's people that are in Vegas for a weekend and they want to go gamble on a football game and they get a ticket and they go. So this one was a head-scratcher to me, Mike. Uh, I know we've discussed a little bit about how they ended up at number six, mm. but I would have thought they would be in the bottom six before the top six.
0: I would have thought so as well. I mean, and so it's always the, you know, looking at the numbers and then you know, sort of getting some surprises is is one of the best parts of doing these rankings. Right. Uh, <clears throat> now, I do think there's always a need to, when you get a, something that doesn't feel right, to look into it a little bit more deeply. But let me ask you um, just about the Raiders brand in general. Because the Raiders brand has always been, a, and there have been a number of, uh, over the years where the Raiders have been near the bottom of the, the list, right? And in particular, when the Raiders are essentially playing in the San Francisco market they look relatively as underperformers compared to the 49ers. You know, always that alpha and beta team in any given market. But the Raiders have a storied history, right? You have, you know, we've talked about, you know, you know, when we were talking last week about maybe Mike Ditka being the most iconic coach in the history of the NFL. Well, John Madden is probably right up there as well. Yeah. Uh, Al Al Davis as the is truly a, you know, a very high-profile owner back in the day. The Black Hole as the most notorious fan uh, section in all of football.
1: Oh, that's what I want to... This is where it's weird to me. Like I think of the Black Hole like how I think of the Buffalo Bills fan base, which is incredibly rowdy, incredibly passionate, but not necessarily <laughs> widespread across the country or across the world. And so I would have thought the Raiders would have been like a slightly lesser ranking than the Buffalo Bills. And as it turns out, they ranked significantly higher. I love the Black Hole, by the way. I mean a, a awesome fan base. And I'm I'm still a little bit upset that Oakland is no longer the home of the Raiders because it just doesn't feel right. Like that that leaving those fans in Oakland, the the kind of sketchy crowd that always seemed to be there. It felt so on brand for Oakland and it was just exactly what that the identity of that franchise had become. So Vegas is probably the, the next best thing, but it's never going to be the same as the original Black Hole in Oakland.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't feel it. I mean, I, don't, I know what you're getting at, like this idea of this pirate ship of a football team playing yeah. in front of these incredibly rowdy fans, and you've got an owner with the famous Just Win Baby. Yeah. What they've done in Las Vegas feels very commercial commercial like playing in a feels, shopping mall kind feels of thing. disney
1: it feels disney it feels yeah. like it feels like disney took over the franchise and cleaned it up a little bit but for the oakland raiders I, they were they were a classic i always kind of liked them as, the ba- like they I were the bad guys right i mean they were but they were like the fun bad guy it was like yeah. the joker and the dark knight like you watch the movie for the bad guy more so than the good guy sometimes and they were that bad guy
0: and so when I when I dive into the numbers and try and figure out why I get this result, <coughs> I'm sorry, I, I come up with a, with a couple of things. And first off, you, you got to so in general, I think moving the the data really suggests that moving your NFL franchise is almost always a bad idea. Almost always. In the case of the Raiders, though, they produce some. Numbers that give us maybe this false signal of how good of a brand they are. So the Raiders were in a fairly significant market size. The San Francisco, Oakland, Santa Clara market. Now they've shifted to the Las Vegas market, which is, I believe, the 49th largest MSA. So you've taken some of the the fan numbers, according to like social media... And now you're applying those numbers against this new, this newer, much smaller market, and it mm-hmm. makes the performance look a, a little bit better. Okay. The, the other thing is the pricing. And this is something that you, I think is sort of the background of your, your questions about this. The Raiders list the highest prices in the league. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me unless something else is going on. And I, I've speculated that are the hotels buying the tickets at a discount And so the 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 ticket prices, sort of the cover prices, are not actually true, and they're being distributed. I I don't know the answer to what it is. Um, One of the things I'll be looking at in the future is will the Raiders be able to sustain having prices above the Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay Packers, uh, you know, Patriots, et cetera.
1: I'm gonna look into that, Mike, because like you're saying, there's got to be something different going on. There's no way that they're organically pricing. Higher than these other franchises, and I would love to know what it is, because maybe it's something that other sports teams could learn from. To be frank, if if they're finding a way to guarantee ticket sales through uh, partnering with with local hotels or local business in some sense as an entertainment product, that might be a new model for for certain cities.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I'm looking it up. The Raiders, so they list the highest ticket prices in the league but when you look at average attendance they came in 26th last year at 61
1: maybe it's 60. just a supply and demand issue or they yeah. don't understand how that works
0: well and so and it's not it's not bad it's 94% of the stadium capacity okay which you would think you know in general that means the expensive tickets are being sold but i think there's something there's something that doesn't feel right and there's something we got to keep our eyes on the numbers going forward
1: or or Is that the ticket price? Is that a median or mean?
0: Uh, I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. It is whatever is reported by this.
1: If it's an average, they could have like some super box for the Uber elite Vegas spenders where it's $20,000 a game or something crazy. And that brings the whole average up significantly.
0: There, there could be something going on, but like I said, you know, we're, we're relying on the team market report and their fan cost yeah. index data. Okay. So, you know, we don't, we, it, in some ways, it's a well respected number. It's a number that gets reported throughout yeah. the media every year. In terms of the internals, you know, it's just nothing that we're going to be privy to. Right. Okay, Doug. <clears throat> At number five, we get into where suddenly this does feel like true NFL royalty, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers.
1: This is your team, Mike. And so nobody can say that this ranking was biased because if it were, they'd be number one. But the Pittsburgh Steelers fan base, I don't know. They've, it's just like, it's like they've always, I mean, every team the rest of the way is like a team that it feels like every year they're in the mix, even when they're not, just simply because of their brand name. And so I think that goes to show why they are ranking so highly. But the Pittsburgh Steelers have history. They have, it's it is a small market for such a big successful franchise. Like for Pittsburgh is not anything special relative to some of these cities that are ranked behind them. Like for example, the the fact that they're ranked several spots in front of the New York Giants is pretty impressive to me, but the Pittsburgh the history and, and there is something about having a more and you'll see this on the rankings it's kind of reflected a more focused city where they really kind of have one thing to focus on, and in Pittsburgh, of course, they have the Penguins and they they have the you know other sports, MLB. But yeah. but you're
0: but right, the pirate. That's a Steeler town. That's not a pirate town. It's at this point. it's
1: a Steeler town, and like Los Angeles, for example, you have the Rams and the Chargers, but you also have a million other. You got the beach, mm. and you got uh, all this <laughs> entertainment stuff, and you got. I mean, for real, Pittsburgh is yeah. like. What else are you going to do? What else are you going to be into? Pittsburgh, it's all about the Steelers. I think that you go down the list and, I mean, Buffalo's very much that way, I think, with the Bills. And I think that's why their fans are so passionate and why there's been so much feedback from that fan base regarding our rankings. But some of these cities, it's like, this is all anyone cares about. And uh, Pittsburgh's that perfect mix of, like, history and being in kind of what can be brutal conditions up there where the true fans have to really stick with it and and show their true colors. And then also okay, they're in a city where there's not a lot else going on.
0: Name some, uh, when you think about Pittsburgh, Steeler players, what comes to mind
1: the steel curtain.
0: So you're going back to the 1975, 76, 77 defensive line.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, because there's all these documentaries and you hear yeah. I, every, every time there's a good defensive line in the NFL, they'll say, you know, this could be the best defensive line since the steel curtain. Yeah. Um, and th- so it gets referenced all the time. Terry Bradshaw, uh, obviously Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, the modern era, I can name a lot of players. Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon yep. Bell for a short stint. Jerome Bettis was one of my favorite players for them. Heinz Ward won the Super Bowl MVP for them that one time.
0: How about if I say a free... Uh, I think he was a free safety with long throwing hair. Troy <laughs> Yeah.
1: Another great... That team was... Classic man, Troy Polamalu with Jerome Bettis at running back and Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback. That I mean, that was a classic team.
0: Yeah, I mean, so just endless star power. And why, you know, I like asking you what you who you think of on these teams because when you when you're referencing to the '70s, again, there's a there's a story here that to build these brands takes a lot of winning. And it's really enduring. I mean, the Steelers have been successful the last couple of decades with a couple of Super Bowls. But that brand was built on the backs of Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, mm. Lynn Swan. And with you know the, the publicity machine of the NFL, and you're right, the, the documentaries, it's uh, you know, it, it, it's sort of an, an, an endless uh, branding machine where the history plays out. You know, the I other, think, yeah. Let me give you one other thing that I think is interesting about the Steelers. From the cities I've lived in, there is almost always a Pittsburgh Steelers bar, and it doesn't matter where you are. And so part of me wonders if they've also benefited from essentially a lot of folks leaving Pittsburgh and taking their passion elsewhere.
1: I don't know. I don't know if it's that or if for whatever reason, their brand attracts people from all over the place, like how the New York Giants did to me. I wasn't from New York, but I grew up a diehard Giants fan. So there was something about their history, something about their whole brand that attracted me. Um, shoot, I'm trying to remember what I was going to say a minute ago. Uh, give me a sec.
0: Yeah, I mean, but, but you know, as you, as you go on, I, I get what you're saying. It's, um, in some ways... When we can list off some of these stars and the, the Super Bowls, and look, even on top of it, they have a very well-defined brand. You know, just as the Raiders have always been this pirate ship as an NFL franchise, are the Steelers going to play uh, – are they going to have a, high, a high-flying offense next season or are they going to have a gritty, tough defense?
1: <laughs> <A> gritty, <laughs> tough defense. Every a gritty, t- tough like defense, the right? The Bears are like that too. Some of these teams, their brand is so associated with their team. and it, it, it's weird that it's still that way. Like, what's keeping Chicago from having a high-flying offense or a great quarterback? And, and same with Pittsburgh. Not that they haven't had great offenses, but having like a modern West Coast slash pro-style offense, it's just they're Pittsburgh. They can't do yeah, that. They've,
0: they, they've got you know they can have the best wide receiver in the league, the best the best running back in the league, a future Hall of Fame quarterback, and we're still thinking about them of having really being all about the linebackers, right?
1: and they always have some running back from like the 6th round that <laughs> that just gets the job done. <laughs> just just it's not the flashiest guy you've ever seen, but he just gets the job done and he outperforms his contract for a while and I love it. I I think Pittsburgh Pittsburgh football is is just classic and they're always going to be top 10. Yep.
0: Um okay, at number 4. <coughs> Excuse me. At number 4 and in- you know, you said the the top five makes a lot of sense to you. If there's one in the top five that doesn't that surprised me a little, it is number four, and that is the Philadelphia Eagles.
1: Yeah, I don't know though. That's a, I mean, that's a fan base that boos Santa Claus, so they've they've got some spirit over there in Philadelphia. And
0: I think that's what it is <laughs> that they've got intense local spirit, but they probably don't get as much national attention as some of the other teams?
1: I don't know. Like, when I've gone to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch games, because I'm a Giants fan, so they they play... I mean, that's one of their biggest games every year is the Eagles. And I've seen... I mean, in Alabama, where I grew up, almost every time I went, I felt like I was the only Giants fan at the bar. And there were Mm. Eagles fans everywhere. And they were in my face. I I was... I don't know if you remember the game where Deshaun Jackson returned a punt as time expired to beat the Giants after a miraculous comeback. But I was at a bar... And I was one of the only Giants fans, and there were a lot of Eagles fans. And this is in Birmingham, Alabama. Like, people don't move from Philadelphia to Birmingham. Somehow, the Eagles attracted that fan base. And something interesting about the Eagles to me is that, like in the modern era, their Super Bowl success has not really paralleled their quarterback success In the sense of they've had successful quarterbacks, like Donovan McNabb was one of the top quarterbacks in the league for the longest time. Just could never win a Super Bowl, unfortunately, um, partially because of the era of the New England Patriots. But they had Donovan McNabb. They had Michael Vick after that. Carson Wentz had a stretch where he was getting MVP votes and people thought he was the future of the league. The guy that wins the Super Bowl, Nick Foles, (laughs) Nick Foles cemented himself in Philadelphia Eagles history with a historic Super Bowl win over the New England Patriots. I love to see it, but it, it's weird when the quarterbacks you associate with the franchise as the classic quarterbacks aren't the ones that actually had the highest level of success.
0: No, and this year, who's the quarterback for the Eagles? It's Jalen Hurts. Jalen right? Hurts, yeah. And, and that seems like that's that's who the Eagles line up. There, there's There hasn't been that star, you know, you ask me who I think about for Eagles quarterbacks. And again, it's my era, but I go to Ron Jaworski. So it's really kind of a funny thing that it's, they, have much like the Bears, they've never had that consistent star power at the quarterback position, but the numbers don't lie. Those fans show up. They pay prices. The social media following is very, very solid. And it's year in, year out. You know, the Eagles Mm -hmm. are not perennial winners. They've had some success. But it's an intense, really impressive fan base.
1: It is. Mike, one thing that strikes me about the Eagles, it feels like this is a team that's always existed. Um, and there's a couple of those on this list, especially toward the top. But the, the NFL does such a fantastic job. We talk about storytelling in sports a lot. They do such a fantastic job of really milking their own history with their documentaries, with a kind of ESPN classic style. And I think that that attracts fans to teams like the Eagles, teams like the Giants. For me, it was growing up and going to NFL Network and seeing all these videos about Lawrence Taylor and what a great linebacker he was and, and seeing the a different era of Giants winning Super Bowls and playing, you know, just fascinating football and then seeing, okay, well, who's like the modern guys on that team? And it attracted me to the team and it's like, it brought history to me even though i was a new fan i think the eagles are another team that for whatever reason and i mean much like the steelers it's like i've seen so many documentaries on nfl network about the philadelphia eagles and have heard so many references to their history that i think it's easy to feel like if you particularly if you grew up in philadelphia but if you have any kind of tie to that team to feel like okay we have this deep history we have this is a storied franchise this is a really really solid brand whereas some of the teams on the bottom of this list just lack that.
0: Well, and I mean I would think that it almost feels unfair to some of these teams, right? Because they they build this programming around usually past success or really colorful colorful figures. But in some ways does that lock in the existing patterns of fandom, right? That it it becomes almost impossible for, I mean I'm just I'm I'm just looking at the list. And, look, I see uh, we had last time we talked about the Chargers at 15. And if you ask me about the history of the Chargers, I don't have much. I got LaDamian Tomlinson gaining a lot of yards, but I don't think he ever really won anything. And then I got Dan Fouts in the late 70s throwing for a lot of yards, but maybe not winning something else. And, uh, you know, and, and that's about it. Versus these kind of these epic NFL stories with the ride of the Valkyrie, you know, in the in the frozen tundra and all this kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. and maybe it does really make it difficult for these teams to move around in the rankings.
1: It does, but I would imagine twenty years from now we're seeing documentaries about Patrick Mahomes.
0: They will all be about Tom Brady,
1: Josh Allen. You think so? You think (laughs) these other guys will be forgotten? Um, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. It's it's having that quarterback in in today's NFL, I think, can buy you some future fans in the sense of like this is going to be this is going down in history. This is going to be documented. Even with the Eagles, I think the whole Nick Foles thing. I mean, I think they'll probably make a movie out of that, and that's definitely worth quite a bit to. Yeah,
0: but you know what? And this is, I think it's a good point. And I'm sort of tongue in cheek with what I'm about to say. I want to go see the Joe Burrow movie far more than I want to see the. Patrick Mahomes movie. I mean, it's not even close. Yeah. Unless you know, unless the NFL really does their magic and almost adds some, you know, adds some something else to the Mahomes story to make it. And, and look, they're they're great at what they do. They can build those compelling stories. You know, well, but you know, and again, it is an interesting aside, right? Because those NFL documentaries used to be played all the time. I don't really know where someone your age would have seen as many of those as I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And this next generation, are they going to see any of them?
1: No, they don't they don't have these on TikTok. <laughs> they don't. They they're probably working on they're probably thinking about that cuz I mean that's a that's probably a legitimate concern, but you're right. There's NFL, I mean cable television as a whole is is somewhat obsolete to the younger generations.
0: Yeah. Okay, Doug, number 3. And while they rank number three, you have to realize that what we're doing, what I'm doing in this ranking is looking at measures of fan passion. So I'm controlling for a lot of things. One of the things I control for is things like market size. If you'd stop controlling for anything and just get a sense of how big any given brand is. And, and look, uh, not, not a good example, but it's the one that popped into my head. You know, Five Guys Burger or, you know, what in and out in L.A., some of these burger things have intensely loyal, passionate fans, but McDonald's is the biggest brand. Right. And so the equivalent to McDonald's in the NFL is our number three team, and that's the Dallas Cowboys.
1: I love how you frame that because it, it devalued them as much as possible <laughs> to put them at number three because I don't think anyone likes ranking Dallas high. This is, this is a team where, where fan bases like the Bills said, oh, they're, they're going to have one of those bandwagon fan bases up top, and they put a team like the Bills, and we have these passionate diehard fans toward the bottom, that's not fair. So, nobody likes the Cowboys except for Cowboys fans. Yeah,
0: and what do the Browns fans say? That the Cowboys fans, they show up five minutes late, um, they're, like, dressed to the nines for the game, (laughs) and if they start to lose, they'll leave a little bit. You know, it's kind of the standard complaints. No one in the... Look... You know, you. I think you mentioned uh Batman and uh, the Joker, the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Who's the biggest villain? And it's you know, the Cowboys are America's team, but they are also the most hated team and most hated fan base it's, across the rest of the league. Right? Is there anyone else of, close?
1: No, it reminds me of LeBron in the NBA. As far as there's LeBron fans, and then everybody else like seems to want to see LeBron fail and takes a lot of pleasure in that. I think people love. That the Cowboys have struggled in the playoffs, and the last in my entire lifetime. Essentially, they love to see Jerry Jones uh, complain and, and struggle to achieve what he wants with that franchise. And maybe of his one efforts. of the best
0: owners from a marketing perspective in sports, though. And I'm not saying he's a talented marketer, but is there a more cont- is there an owner that you would rather see his team lose and have them showing him on TV than Jerry Jones? <laughs>
1: No, there's also not another team that I associate the owner with the team as much. Like he seems, maybe it's just um, it's an calling illusion. Plays right? <laughs> yeah, it seems like he's like making all the calls as a GM. He's he's calling the plays from his little box. Like he's he's at practice out there. Like he seems like he is the Dallas Cowboys. Like Jerry Jones is the Dallas Cowboys, and people will because people will when they when they won't succeed. And the people say, well, Jerry Jones, common denominator. Like we've had all these great quarterbacks. We've had all these great teams, still no playoff success. It's because of Jerry Jones. As soon as we get rid of Jerry Jones, yeah. different story. Is there I don't a worse, know how true that is, but.
0: Is there a worse job in the NFL than being the Dallas Cowboys quarterback?
1: Being the Dallas Cowboys field goal holder. Okay that was a Tony Romo reference yeah
0: I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know if you remember that no. the, wait do you, do you remember no I don't you know what I'm talk- okay in the playoffs Tony Romo his first year people thought he was the next Tom Brady he just lit up the league and people were the media was saying oh Romo's gonna be the guy that leads the Cowboys the promised land you know this is the next Tom Brady he was slept on as a draft pick but he's out here and he's so much better than everybody else first playoff game uh, Seattle Seahawks, they've got a, a late game field goal for the win, and it was a chip shot. I mean, it was practically... It might have been an extra point, but it was practically an extra point. And Tony Romo, because he had been the backup prior to an injury to the starter, was still the oh. holder, and he fumbled the hold, and the kicker... like The the play blew up, and they lost the game because they, they missed a chip shot field goal because Tony Romo fumbled it. And so... That's kind of been, and that's where everyone stopped thinking he was the next Tom Brady. Then, then the narrative became Tony Romo doesn't have the clutch gene.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and it's true, right? I mean, your your point being the being the quarterback of the Cowboys or a fumbling field goal you know holder is like being the face of the league, right? I mean, there's probably no <laughs> more pressurized position than being a Dallas Cowboy. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, and so going into this next year, look. And some of the stuff, I love thinking about these teams as brands. You know, Dak Prescott, and, so, and the thing that we're going to do next, this uh, QB metric-related forecasting for the NFL season, I've never been a huge Dak Prescott fan. He scores pretty well. He doesn't score in the elite category, but he scores well enough that he's almost on the edge of being the kind of guy that can get you to a Super Bowl. And, and so when, when you take that perspective – Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones desperate, desperate for a title with a guy that's good getting paid big money but might not be enough to get there. That's a setup for an angst-ridden couple of years in uh, in Texas.
1: Yeah, I actually think Dak Prescott, like as a Giants fan, I'm always pulling against him. And he's very frustrating to pull against because he seems like he shouldn't be that good and he's not that good and he'll still carve up your defense yeah. and so maybe the giants are it's tough to judge a quarterback playing against the giants cuz they haven't had good defenses in the last 10 years but um dak i think with the right the right supporting cast and r- the right owner uh, could could make a super bowl and win one
0: no i mean he's he's definitely in that kind of range but he's he doesn't score at the range where he, he doesn't score at the aaron rodgers patrick mahomes tom brady level He's that level below where it could go mm-hmm. either way, so it's a fun one to watch. Okay, Doug, at number two, who do you think of as a quarterback for the our number two team, the Patriots? And you can't say Tom Brady.
1: Drew Bledsoe. Okay. Um, when I when I was a kid, Drew Bledsoe was like the first quarterback I knew existed. Like he was the. F- People forget because of he was how, really good. I mean, people he was, forget because of how great Brady's run has been. Bledsoe but was, was a t-
0: probably a regular Pro Bowler, I think, before he sat down.
1: There well. was a time where people were like, "Could Drew? Could Drew Bledsoe become the goat?" <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then one injury and Tom Brady, and it's all she wrote. People forget he even existed, but I, I, I do think of Drew Bledsoe.
0: Yeah, but, you know, and I go back. Like, I can't quite remember who the quarterback for the Patriots was in that game against the, the Bears in the Super Bowl. And I think that's kind of the perfect, you know, description of the, where the Patriots had been. The Patriots had been a long time struggling team, you know, had some minor, almost every NFL team has the occasional success. And the Patriots got to the Super Bowl in, in 85. But Bledsoe was a major upgrade for them. Because oh, no. I do think if you rank the Patriots quarterbacks, Brady's obviously number one, but Bledsoe is probably number two. And so their, their top two guys were one after another. Uh, in terms of the, the data, there's no bigger story in sports branding over the last couple of decades in terms of a team being an, all, an also-ran to 20 years later, a team having a multi-year tic- season ticket waiting list. Mm -hmm. incredibly high prices, great social media coverage. And then the story gets even better, right? Because the guy that essentially built most of that then took off to go play in Florida.
1: That's Tom Brady. But I don't think, I think Pat's fans still love Tom. Like, uh, and I'm not just talking about Tom Brady fans. I'm talking about Patriots fans. Like they, how could you not? I don't think there's any, bad blood between that fan base and, and that quarterback. I don't think they feel abandoned or anything. I think they're just thankful for the fact that they got him and had him yeah. for as long as they did. But looking at Bledsoe and Brady, it kind of reminds me of the NBA comparison I would make is David Robinson and Tim Duncan, where Robinson was elite and people forget that there was a time where people were saying, was like, he's the best center of all time, all this stuff. And then Duncan comes around, and they played together. So they play. It's a little bit different in basketball. But Duncan just had a much longer career and more championships, more MVPs, more all the rest. And people kind of now forget. Like when you ask people to name the top Spurs of all time, Robinson gets lost in the list a little bit. I think that Drew Bledsoe's the same way. I think he really was elite and was a real special quarterback for a short time. But obviously, when your successor is someone as talented as Tom Brady, it's it's hard to be remembered.
0: No, it's, you know, who was the point guard for the Chicago Bulls before Michael Jordan right? kind of thing, right? I mean, it could have been a guy that made a couple of all-star games. Yeah. It just, just doesn't matter.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, Doug, that brings us to number one on the list by process of elimination. And look, I grew up in Chicago, and so this has always been a funny fan base in a way when you live in Chicago, but we've got the Green Bay Packers in the smallest market in the league <laughs> at number one on the list.
1: Which the cheese says heads. something. The cheese heads. Yeah. yeah. I, I will say for especially for a small market team. Well,
0: hold on, let's let's stay there. Do you ever see cheese heads in real life, or is that just something you saw on TV in Alabama?
1: <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen one in real
0: okay. life. <laughs> because I have, right? So okay. it's it's not that uncommon of a thing. <laughs>
1: it's hilarious to <laughs> that, like we're kind of numb to it because we see it so much, but to actually think about what that like an actual cheese head, someone's wearing a piece of cheese on their head. <laughs> um, and as a costume and in support of a football team, that's amazing. That is that is fandom at its peak. So, <laughs> so Green Bay, I don't know if I've ever lived anywhere where I didn't have a friend that was a diehard Packers fan. I know one in every city I've ever lived in,
0: yeah. True nationwide, right? It's uh, uh,
1: nationwide. I know people that would say it's on their bucket list to go to a game at Lambeau. The Lambeau Leap is so famous. I don't know why or how Green Bay became what they have become. But they are undoubtedly the top fan base in the NFL, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, the history has got to be, you know, you got to go back. And again, this is even before my time, right? Winning the first couple of Super Bowls. Um, Bart Starr. The the Lombardi Trophy, right? Yeah. You know, that, that history of winning. But then people sort of forget that the Packers had some lean years there in the 70s. Right. And in the 80s and it wasn't till I mean um, okay, so Aaron Rodgers one of my favorite players both statistically and temperamentally and politically. But you know before before we had Aaron Rodgers, who did we have?
1: Brett Favre.
0: Okay, does it get any better than Brett Favre in some ways? This good yeah, old boy no. doing Wrangler commercials. I mean, talk yeah. about a How could you not love Brett Favre, right?
1: Brett Favre. The other thing about Brett Favre is he was he was great, but he was also terrible. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Like he was he would make the most amazing plays you'd ever seen a quarterback do. He was like a point guard that just has incredible floor vision and would make some amazing throws. But he was so gutsy that he would make some terrible interceptions at, at crucial times. And so he was he was such a wild card and in big situations, you didn't know what was going to happen. So he was just a fascinating player to watch as a casual football fan. And I think that probably drew a lot of eyeballs to to the Packers franchise for that era. And of course, set the stage for the Aaron Rodgers era, who, of course, is probably, in my opinion, a more efficient quarterback than Brett Favre, but maybe not as maybe not as much the entertainer. I don't know.
0: Entertaining in a different way, right? I mean, yeah. Favre just seems like the where did Favre play? It was like was it Mississippi or Mississippi?
1: Uh, somewhere southern miss Southern Miss?
0: yeah I, think. I mean, Favre just even like that that kind of southern boy personality, I think played really well in an interesting way up in up in green Bay and, and then even what he did after playing where he's doing what was it like copper fit and Wrangler. <laughs>
1: I mean, also, it was, he had he had a it was little great stuff. off the field off the field controversy as well in that kind of toward the end of his career. But I actually the stuff with
0: Rodgers or something. No,
1: else. Um, sending pictures and oh. getting leaked out and that whole thing, you know. And and there was but there was an amazing SNL sketch about it having to do with Wrangler jeans. I'll, I'll send it to you later, Mike. But it was okay. it was absolutely hilarious at the time. But um, I ran into Brett Favre once though at a girls volleyball practice in Sanford which was the most random thing that ever happened in my life it was like a weird dream but I was with I had a family friend and she was in town for a volleyball thing and she our families were real close the family was there and we were hanging out with them watching this like camp and there was one guy there and I walked by him and I was like this guy is really really fit and this was like a couple years ago and I was like, he. I elbowed the person next to me. And I said, that guy kind of looks like Brett Favre. And then I walked by him later. And somebody was talking to him. And they were like, so in this Super Bowl game, what were you thinking? When Like some random dad was asking him like questions about his career. And, which I'm sure he appreciated. And um, I realized he, his daughter was at the camp. And he drove to Alabama to watch her play. And he was being toured around the campus and stuff. But I saw him in person. and the thing that struck out to me is you always see these guys on TV and they all look like they're normal-sized people and they're normal, especially quarterbacks. Like you just think, you know, he's just a smart guy with like a pretty good arm and stuff. That dude was fit; like his calves were enormous, and I was like, oh my! Like he's he stood out in a room, and this is like way past his playing days, Brett Farr. Well, well,
0: I forget How t- is he your is he your kind of height? He's short. Six
1: me. five. I thought he was shorter than me. Yeah. Well, um,
0: maybe yeah, I know. I don't know. Is he? But he's a. 6'4", kind of bigger guy. Because I don't remember. Do you I, yeah, I'm with you.
1: He's six He's, not, he's okay. not a tall guy. He's six foot two, um, and like two hundred twenty five pounds or something. But I mean, how he was, was it? Did you uh, did you do was, a quick hand size comparison or? Yeah, we did. He was about five. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but he. So it wasn't like a height. Th- it wasn't like when you see an yeah. NBA player and you feel like, oh, this guy's a freak. He just was like so incredibly fit for a grown adult man. Like I like he's taken whatever Tom Brady's taken, but he's he's he looks younger than he did when he was playing. I don't know how, but he does. Because by the end of his career, he looked like an old man out there. But when I saw him a couple of years back, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy has been working out like he's like he's trying to be a bodybuilder or something.
0: Cool. Well, and, and look, <laughs> you know, and I think you know, in some ways, the Packers are a, a great way to end the list because it it kind of reinforces some themes into how this how these fan bases are built, right? Because, you know, we go from the early days of the NFL and the Packers. And, look, anyone that has seen those documentaries, God, we've seen the Packers win a lot of Super Bowls, right? Yeah. But then we've also got these iconic guys of Bart Starr, Brett Favre, uh, Aaron Rodgers. And, mm-hmm. and so that really does seem to be the key. It's can, it's winning championships, and it's also having these star quarterbacks the, fa- the faces of the franchise. And, you know, and we could do climbing. that for – we could do that for just about all of them, with maybe the exception of the Patriots. But the Patriots yeah. have the star quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and the the Green Bay Packers also have one key part of the formula, which is just an iconic environment.
0: A hundred percent. Not
1: not just the weather. We've talked about weather, but not just the weather. The stadium. The stadium is like people will travel and tour there. Um, the fans. The the Lambo leap. The you know the end zone walls. Everything um, about that. the fact
0: that the community basically owns the team, right? That it's a publicly <laughs> yeah. traded the organization. The cheeseheads. Yeah. The
1: cheeseheads. What other team has something like that? I can't think of. In the NFL, I can't think of anything.
0: Maybe the terrible towel. To- the terrible towel, towel for the Steelers. But that's Steelers.
1: about it. That's about it. But I mean, the the Packers check every box, and it's it's honestly awesome to see such a small market have such a big team because. Mm-hmm. Green Bay. I don't think Green Bay. I don't think I would be aware that Green Bay exists if not for the Packers. But I am very aware of what matters most to them, and the whole country is very aware of all their heroes and all of their sports stars and and stories over the years. And so, I think it's really cool to see a market that small have that big a, a piece in the or place in the NFL.
0: Okay, and so we'll we'll wrap there next week. We will either move ahead to. I don't know, Doug. We can either move ahead to getting into the projections for the upcoming NFL season, but I feel like we should probably also take a step back at a little more current event and maybe start to dig into the NBA, uh in the NBA playoffs. Cuz you know, we you know, we sort of uh we went in a little bit of a different direction this year. Yeah. And the NBA well, you know what? Let's just let's just make a commitment. We'll talk mostly NBA and sort of get caught up on all the current events in sports. Uh, next week. uh, As always, guys, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. Talk to you soon.